Welcome to Prime of Our Lives, a podcast about navigating pop culture and the Korean wave in our 30s. I'm Polly Kwok. And I'm Katie Logan. Hi, Polly. How are you? I am better. Good. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, so I took last week off the podcast, but I am feeling more myself. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. That's it's good to have you back. I will put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of which, um, I really liked your breakdown on the Evermore episode. Oh, thank you. So for I- listeners who don't know, Katie is, has extensive album analysis for Taylor Swift, <laughs> like every album. Yeah. So if you ever wonder like what who's which songs are about who, Katie is your person to go to. Because yeah. half the time I I like Taylor. I say I stand Taylor, but I'm not a Swifty per se. Okay. I think I like her songs, but I don't unpick it enough to really know. Like I just take her song at face value. Because I like the sound of it. I like the words I just listened to. I like her one liners. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to be said for that approach. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess, (laughs) yeah, I think it was great that you broke it down. Because I think for me, Taylor is now moving into a realm of music that I don't really listen to anymore. Like, I was, I don't know if I ever, it sounds very folky. Yeah. And I don't ever think, I mean, I think I listen to, like, indie folk like kind of your Lumineers, your okay. Fleet Foxes, that kind of vibe, but it's still fairly like, I would say like pop indie folk. Okay. I've not fully ventured into folk. And she's also, it almost feels like country folk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did you go through a Sufjan Stevens phase? No, I did not. Yeah. Yeah, it's very Sufjan and like, I mean, Bon Iver is maybe more atmospheric than folk, but like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've been to a Bon Iver concert. It was great. It was like... I, surprisingly good live, right? Yeah. I w- it was, I think the, to be honest, I'm very glad I went. It was like in Vancouver, it was at Deer Lake Park, which is like outside, huge like amphitheater, but like outside. And it was like a nice summery day. We had a picnic and like Bon Iver was playing. It was like... That kind of music, not like stand in the front and you queue hours in a row and you're like vibing out to it kind of music, you know? Okay. Yeah, I went to like a proper nighttime indoor concert for Bonnie there. And there were like, there was like a light show, I think. Oh. I remember it was good. See, the thing is, because I thought she collaborated, well, I know she collaborated with Bonnie Vera, I thought it would be more atmospheric. Yeah, no, but she folk. did do more of like the the banjo-y, twangy kind of yeah country folk. Yeah, I mean, I like it. Obviously, I like yeah. it. Um, but totally fair that it's not your thing. I think this is obviously a period of growth and change for her. But I'm not sure. Like, I think I like the classic Taylor. Yes. I like I like the songs that are about her and her experience. I like her, you know, jabs at people without being too obvious, although it's kind of obvious. I like her one-liner. And she still has those one-lines, you know, like her very statement one-lines in each song where you're like, ooh, that's a good line. (laughs) 
Yeah. But it's some of the stuff I think would make for really good, like, soundtrack music. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think um I think I wrote about this in one of my write-ups <laughs> about a different album, but I feel like this is kind of a necessary period of songwriting growth for her because as she's gotten older and more and more famous, her experiences are less relatable. Yeah. So it, it was like one thing 10 years ago when she was writing songs about dating guys who were mean to her. And it yeah. was like, yeah, we all share that experience. But now, like, she's written so many songs about, like, Kim Kardashian being mean to her. And that is never going to happen <laughs> to anyone else. No. And even the drama about um, leaving her record label and having her master sol- stolen, or not stolen, but sold. Even that story where you can read about it and you can understand it and you can understand why it would be upsetting. But it's not something, it's not an experience that you can share. No. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I find actually recently the songs that she writes about her own personal experiences to actually be among my least favorite songs just because I'm just like, I can't relate to this anymore. I'd rather you make up a story about a TV show you watched because I watched the same TV show and I can imagine. Yeah, that's true. She's no longer hashtag relatable. Yeah, she's just not. She's been, she's worth like $400 million, like. she's she's in another stratosphere yeah that's true she doesn't live like the rest of us no (laughs) yeah yeah I'm happy for her I feel like in terms of her music style and her need to explore and I think all artists should kind of get out of their comfort zone or get into a different comfort zone but I really hope the classic Taylor comes back (laughs) Or or maybe she'll just do a Vegas show and I'll go see her and she'll do all her hits and I'll be like You yeah. love the idea of artists doing Vegas shows. Yeah, it's like it's like receiving a best of album but yeah. live. Yeah, I've seen Celine Dion in Vegas and Goosebumps. Yeah. So we have several other things we wanted to discuss, some important updates from our various fandoms and interests that have happened over the last week or so. Yes. I think, Polly, the first thing I want to get your hot take on is the latest in GOT7 news. Ugh. So for those of you who don't know, I like more than one K-pop band. So more than just (laughs) BTS. (laughs) Which I think is rare, actually. I actually think that it's this K-pop has this phenomenon where people are very loyal to, like, one band. There's always this talk about like just because you like BTS doesn't mean you like K-pop because some people literally just listen to BTS and no other bands um and I'm not going to go into the different lingo for whether you like multiple bands or not but because this year has been my K-pop discovery naturally I find more bands that I like I mean I like the veterans like people who are clearly very polished and who are good entertainers and stuff like that. But in the same token, because they've been around for so long, somebody like GOT7, um, their contracts with their label ended this year. Yeah. And I literally just started listening to them like six months ago. Yeah. I was like, no, this happens. You know, this is my curse. This happens to me every time with anything (laughs) Korean. Like, I watch a Korean show and the main actor, I was like, is really good. I Google him. He's just joined the military. Yeah. (laughs) Or like, 
I like this band. And they're like, oh, you know, they, you know, their contract ended. Um, however, <laughs> apparently, so GOT7, so they're a seven-member boy band. They're huge, out, they're bigger outside of Korea than they are inside Korea, um, which is unique, I think, for them. They're huge in China, and they're huge in Thailand. Okay. Um, and I, this is shown by the fact that as soon as their contract with their current label ended, all of their albums, so this is like 10 plus albums, were on the iTunes chart in Thailand. Wow. Like Thailand is a huge fan base, mainly because I think because one of the members is Thai. Yeah. And I think it's also popular in China because one of the members is from Hong Kong or he says he's from China. So I think there's a big international component to their group, which I think is also interesting, contrasting that with the all-Korean dynamic of BTS. Yeah. Um, is that Chinese member? Is that Jackson? Yeah. So that's Jackson Wang. Okay. Okay. And then you have Mark, who is Taiwanese-American. Okay. Um, and so I think they, they've also got, obviously, a huge American following. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think financially, strategically, obviously, it doesn't make sense for them to disband. Their contract was for seven years. So it's very much like BTS. They've been around because BTS celebrated their seven year anniversary last year. So I've I definitely have a niche for this kind of band. But they left the label because not all the members wanted to sign with them. But they've got a really good they're, they're another group that I think has got really good bandmate camaraderie. Yeah. That seems genuine to me. Yeah. And I think that's, it's so, it's coming back to your point, Katie, about that body language expert about looking at how people interact bonding. with it. Yeah. And like watching yeah. people bonding makes you feel like you know them or like it makes you like the content more. And I think the genuineness that comes across feels real to me, but they're also very real in, in a way that's very different from BTS, which okay. I also like. They're, they're like, if you think, I mean, for those who only listen to BTS or who don't know them, BTS tends to, they've been called very chaotic. Like when they get interviews, if you ask them to sing their favorite line of Dynamite, they all sing at the same time and it's a bit crazy. Yeah. But like GOT7 is more chaotic. Like, yeah, yeah, they kind of it's like they're known for being like off script, doing whatever they want on camera. Yeah, very different in that sense, but very entertaining to watch. I think it's very clear that they've got very individual personalities and they're also all more um, active on social media. OK, so they've all got their own individual Instagram accounts, for example, and they've all got their own Twitter accounts. Um, there was big beef with their current label because um, they felt like, I think a lot of fans felt like they were being mismanaged and not promoted as much as they should be. And I think that's why they haven't gone with that label again. But I think they're still, obviously it sounds like they're still, they're still together as a band. And I think this is the one K-pop loophole that is kind of in favor of K-pop bands that even if you leave the label, you still own the name. Okay which I think fans were worried about because they're like, well, what if they leave JYP, which is their label? Then do they, are they no longer GOT7? Like, how does that work? But apparently in law, in Korea, you still retain your name. Okay. So the, the kind of name goes with the group rather than with the label, which I think it makes sense. 
but oftentimes there's I know there's lots of legislation around k-pop that's not always in favor of the artists mm -hmm. as with all music I think generally. yeah yeah I mean we mentioned Taylor Swift's struggles with her masters so, yeah yeah so I did follow so I'm not as big I'm not a GOT7 fan I don't follow them in the same way you do but I did I have been kind of following some of this drama around them leaving their label and it's entertaining man <laughs> yeah like I think um I saw a video compilation of like all the times they talked about really disliking the CEO of of their label who is um JYP himself and uh yeah, he doesn't, he seems like uh, he would not be easy to work for. And they did kind of make their dissatisfaction known. Yeah, and I think, you know, for a band, like just, I don't want to compare them, but I just think as a band that they're, they're selling out arenas, right? They're not some small time Korean band that no one knows. They're selling yeah. out arenas around the world. And the attention and promotion they're getting is so minimal. Yeah. And I feel like that's just bad PR team. A hundred percent. Like, um, they did have a fan meet, which was very cute. Um, but like, I feel like in the current COVID state, I mean, another group that hasn't had a lot of attention, I think is Blackpink <laughs> in that, yeah. but th that's a different, it's cause there's beef with labels and TV stations or whatever. But yeah. I think normally when, when a band promotes an album, like you would like Lady Gaga, but like if they're a well-known band, there's so much promotion. Yeah. And I think what's also impressive is that clearly there's still a lot of fans. I mean, they're definitely not at the BTS level in terms of sales or album sales or anything like that. Yeah. But the fact that despite not having that much support from their label and they're still managing to win like top albums of the year kind of thing suggests to me that their fan base which are called the Agassiz are very strong yeah and I mean they're good like I'm not I'm not a GOT7 fan but um one of Jackson Wang's solo songs was in my top five songs of the year on Spotify yeah I mean yeah. and and they write their own songs too which I yeah. think is also quite unique in K-pop. Like I think SM groups, I don't know 100% obviously, but it doesn't sound like SM groups necessarily all write their own songs. No, I think Shiny kind of uh, paved the way in giving artists more control over their, their songs. Yeah. Shiny's an SM artist, but So yeah. overall, I was a bit devastated that I thought they were going to disband. There were rumors that they might disband. But I think strategically and financially there's no way they're going to disband okay. i think there's it's like they're obviously strong individually a lot of them have individual projects but i think as a group they're also like worthwhile pursuit for them do you know what i mean as a group yeah not just for the fans so i'm just i just want a year where i could go to all these concerts in london <laughs> that's all i want I think if I started liking K-pop like a year and a half, two years ago, it would have been perfect timing because all the groups I currently like right now all came through London. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. I was reading this interview with Day6. Yes. Um, and it was like uh, this English journalist interviewed them right after their show at the O2 Brixton. And I was <gasps> like, oh my Lord. Like that is like down the street from me. <laughs> And I didn't even, like, it didn't even clock it. Oh. I know. I know, Katie. 
I think, yeah. well, we've saved some money by not going yet. But yeah. uh, we will prepare, we'll line our pockets for when they return. Yes. Um, yeah, I think I'm completely sold on the idea of a K-pop concert. Like, I don't even yeah. have to love, love the band, but I definitely go. I just want to go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So if you haven't, if you don't know who GOT7 is, fine. I think they're, I was watching um, an Insta live from one of the members they say about 60% of their fans become a fan of GOT7 from their song, Just Right. Okay. So if you want to know why I like them, play Just Right or Google it. Um, right. There you go. But yeah, I've also been into another K-pop band, but I could talk about K-pop forever at this rate. So. I mean, the next topic I had on our list to talk about is K-pop related. Yep. But it is perhaps more on brand for us. And this is a new uh, <laughs> BTS. I mean, it's not really a BTS music video, but it is a video for a song that didn't have a music video. Yes. Um, that's been put out by their label, but it's an animation video. Yeah. I mean, the animation quality. So it's, it's called Tiny Tan, yeah. which is like mini, mini BTS in animation yeah. form. It's really good. It's like, really good. The quality of the animation is like a Pixar, Disney kind of level. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like most bands actually create avatars or animated versions of themselves. I feel like Tiny Tan is like the highest quality animation that I've seen. Yeah. So cute. So cute. Yeah, there's so... And I think the other part is much like Taylor Swift and her songs bts through videos like this put a lot of easter eggs in don't they yeah and yeah. it's and it's like targeted to a certain like to the fans which are the army and like armies are so detail oriented that they just pick up on every little thing that's meant yes. as an easter egg yeah and then like i can tell that i'm so much more of an army now because like i watched the music video and i cried <laughs> It was really, to be honest, I think this is coming back to like, you know, our comments earlier about Taylor Swift. Like, despite, you know, I don't know if I could ever relate to BTS's feeling that they can't see their fans. Right. But they create content that's very relatable. Yeah. So, so is in that vein where they're like, oh, well, technically, you know, they're not normal people. They don't go to work like normal people. But in the video... You know, they created a character that is a fan who goes to yeah. work, etc., which is like so relatable to everyone yep. who's watching and during the pandemic, etc. It really, you know what? They're so good at tugging at your heartstrings. They really are. Ugh. Wait, so let's tell people what the song is. And wasn't this your most listened to song of the year? Yes, it was my 2020 number one song. I could listen to this song on repeat. It's very good. It's very good. It's one of their slower songs. Yeah, but yeah. you can sing along. So it's zero o'clock. Yes. Um, if you look it up on Spotify, it's like zero zero colon zero zero. Yeah, and everyone talked about listening to it at midnight on New yeah. Year's Eve. Yeah. And I think the lyrics are really meaningful. I think that's the coming back to BTS lyrics that, you know, like I listened to the song. I really like the song without knowing the lyrics. And then I looked it up and actually has a really nice message yeah as, what is the message I think from what I can from what I can remember 
There's so many songs I've now looked up and looked up <laughs> their meanings and now I don't remember. I think it's just about like, even though things are hard at midnight, things reset and things will get better. Yeah. And it's a bit like Spring Day by BTS in that like yeah. winter will come to an end eventually and spring will come soon. And I think it's about like hope essentially. Yeah. And I think right now, I think we all need messages of hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, you know, like realistically, we know things are slowly, like we've turned a corner, the vaccine is being rolled out, like things are going to get better, but we can't feel that yet yeah. for most people. Like it hasn't. I was, I was saying to my husband just the other day, I was like, when, so we keep saying when COVID is over, like what's our criteria? What's our definition of when COVID is over? Like, how do we define that? Because, yeah. you know, it's probably never going to be gone. It's not like we're going to eradicate this disease. No. Um, it's not like we're going to, like, go back to no to work like normal. Like, I think a lot of things have changed permanently for us. Yeah. So I think it's like trying to figure out what normalcy from before COVID remains and yeah. what has happened since COVID will remain. Because yeah. realistically, like, best case scenario, it's like the flu. Which means, you know, every winter season, it's there. So to think about a COVID-free time is almost, unless you're New Zealand. Yeah. And you just never let anyone in ever again. <laughs> yeah. And you've eradicated COVID, <laughs> which happy for them, 100%. The COVID will always be there now. And I think, I don't know, I feel like in the new year, a lot of, I'm still struggling to think that it's 2021. Like, I feel like we're still living in the year of COVID which is 2020. Yeah. I mean, as an American, I can say, I think we had like a good five days where we were like, woo, like, look, like we're taking back the Senate. Sorry, everything's looking good. Um, and then there was an attempted coup. And, uh, yeah. you know, things are not looking good anymore. No. And actually, I think because we're not interacting with people live and we're watching all this stuff at home or on TV, like, it almost feels like I'm on the Truman Show, you know? Mm. Is this really happening, like, in America? Like, I'm watching this on TV and, like, on Twitter, and it's like... Yeah. This is crazy. Like, it's almost surreal to me that it, these kinds of things are happening. Like, I've mentioned to my husband on our walks now that I'm like, I feel like we're in a twilight zone. That yeah. we're not out of... And I'm very aware that we're in a twilight zone kind of environment. And part of me is like, do I, what do I need to know? Yeah. Like, even as an American, did I need to know? Like, I don't live in America anymore. Yeah. Did I, did I, maybe I needed to, you know, know in hypotheticals that this had happened. But like, did I really need to watch 12 hours of uninterrupted footage of like, racist middle-aged white men screaming at police officers and trying to kill um, Congress people like yeah. did I like emotionally probably that wasn't that was something I probably should have stepped away from and yeah maybe in maybe in 2021 something I need to do is like is recognize that with social media and with the internet and with being inside and you know relatively isolated most of the time it's really easy to spend a lot of time consuming bad news about everything from everywhere and yeah. like you don't you don't need to know everything you don't you don't have a responsibility to like know every bad thing that's happening in the world 
like you're allowed to step back and just watch like a nice BTS music video. I think it's a phenomenon because of COVID, whatever. I've been reconnecting with old friends via social media randomly, like people I haven't spoken to in over 10 years. And now we message each other on Instagram. Um, She was like, oh, so like, how's everything going on? Like politically in the UK? I was like, I don't watch the news anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yeah, I can't tell you what's happening. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't. Yeah. I just have just just unplugged. But I think, as you say, even if you want to know, or if you want to try and figure out what's happening, the the algorithm of which, like, news and what's happening in the world is kind of dripped through your feed is very specific stuff. Like, I don't feel like I'm, I feel like I'm getting like tunnel vision now. Like I only yeah. hear, so like if it's a really big thing that's on all the news channels, then I'll hear about it. But other things I don't hear about at all. Like what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening in Africa, what's happening in parts of yeah. Asia, no idea. Yep. There's no coverage. Yeah. That's like showing up I was thinking the other day, remember they, um, that Africa didn't have a COVID outbreak for a really long time. And I was like, in my head, I was like, is that still true? Like, have they not had COVID outbreaks? Like, has anyone talked about this? I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't know. I just know, like, there are new strains in different places. It's yeah. kind of like, I don't, I daren't dive into it. <laughs> yeah. Lest and I want to stay up all night, like, yeah. thinking about it. People at work are like, what's the situation in Italy? Because I'm, I'm still working for local government in London um, for the next couple of weeks, even though I'm, I've moved to Italy now. Um, and so everyone's like, what's the situation in Italy? Like, what's the latest there? And I'm like, guys, like, what mental capacity do you think I have to stay on top of um, public health and like COVID delivery in London, where I'm still working five days a week and know exactly what's happening in Italy? Like, there's no way I can tell you what's going on in Italy. Like, that doesn't seem like it would be a, a kindness to myself to try to worry about that. Cause like, I'm like, I'm working in London. I'm worried about my family in the US. So I like, I kind of keep an eye on things in the US. Like, obviously I live in Italy now. I have family here, but like, I don't, how much, how much emotional capacity do I have to worry about everyone everywhere? Yeah. I, I just, can't yeah it's yeah I think it's I've almost gone to the it makes you go to the extreme of like just not knowing anything about anything anymore yeah I mean I think there's also like a bit of um I don't know there's probably a philosophical philosophical term for it but like being able to admit your limits mm -hmm. like not just like your limits of like what emotionally you can process but also like your limits of you know what I don't know enough about this topic to try to read three news articles and have an opinion. Yeah. Like a lot of people were asking me about the UK strain and I'm a public health professional and I hypothetically, I could have an opinion on the UK strain. Yeah. But I was like, to those people who were asking me, I was like, do you legitimately want me to spend time reading scientific writing about this new UK strain so that I can tell you what I think? from a professional perspective. Because if you do, I could. Yeah. But like, I don't have the time to do that right now. And I'm not going to read two news articles about it and pretend like I have an opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
crazy. But I don't think a lot of people are exercising that sort of control. I think a lot of people are like, are just reading a news article and like being an expert. Yeah. Because yeah. you know what? Because normally, right, you read a news article pre-COVID, you go to work, you have a lunch break and you're like, oh, I read this article da 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 with with your coworkers and they're like yeah. oh no that's ridiculous that actually isn't true because I read this other thing that said this yeah and da, da, da. and you're like oh yeah maybe it isn't yeah now right you read something and you get a whatsapp message and someone's like oh I read this like this is mind-blowing yeah and you're like this must be fact yeah like just I'm just gonna chamber. take them at their word then it gets forwarded to someone else and then eventually you're like I know all this random stuff that may or may not actually be validated opinions, but I've just, this is all the information I've got now. And yeah. I don't have, I don't have the mental capacity to do any research myself. So, you know, people, and then I think with COVID, as we've discussed before, it's like people have their own logic and rationale for things. And I think we're, I think maybe as we become less socially interacting we now kind of become more um, insulated in our views and thoughts and logic. Yeah. Which is can be really scary, actually. I don't know. I just feel like people's frame of minds and how people think have, have changed. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. And that is what the new BTS video is about. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's totally not. <laughs> And this is, I think this is why I think K-pop and I guess the Korean wave has really saved my 2020, like my sanity. Yeah. I think it's a great outlet and albeit I'm not going to move to Korea and think that everyone looks like a K-pop idol and that, you know, everyone's living out their K-drama romance. It's just been a nice escape, really. Yeah. I mean, the thing I've always liked about K-dramas is... Um, at least the ones I watch, you kind of, you know how they're going to end after the first episode. Yeah. Like, there's like a safety there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You you know what to expect when you're getting into a K-drama. Although it's funny, yeah. now that I try and watch non-Korean dramas, it's harder for me to like them now. Yeah? Yeah, I just like... I don't know. I'm so, it's not even the reading subtitles bit. I'm just so ingrained to a Korean series and innately how they work that when I'm watching something non-Korean, I'm like, either like this is too slow or there's not enough character building or I don't find it funny mm. when I feel like I should. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my thing is like, because I'm in Italy and living with my in-laws, if I put anything on the TV, my mother-in-law is going to sit down and watch it with me. Mm. And unless it's a Korean show, like, I feel really uncomfortable watching nudity with my mother-in-law. <laughs> so, like, Korean shows are a very safe space for that. Very safe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the occasional guy half-naked in a shower scene in every series. Not but, to be sexist, but uh, I don't mind that. <laughs> but that, that is the only kind of nudity, generally. Yeah. 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 All right, so speaking of being in Italy, Katie, yes. I feel like you've been doing, our listeners will want to know all of the lovely Italian activities you're doing. And for I guess, obviously, your listeners don't know, but 
every time I talk to Katie, it sounds like she lives in an idyllic Italian village doing very idyllic Italian things. <laughs> like like you would see in the movie Under the Tuscan Sun. Oh, yeah. Which was a great um, movie. I loved it. Yeah, but I think it's an unrealistic depiction of immigrating <laughs> to Italy. <laughs> you can't just buy property in Tuscany and then move here. That's not how immigration works. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I am here. And I'm not in Tuscany. I'm in I'm in southern Italy. So I'm a few hours south of Naples. So, so probably a lot farther south than a lot of our... Um, listeners who have ever been to Italy have ever been like I feel like a lot of people kind of go to maybe see Pompeii and that's like as far south as you get Mm. or like even to the Amalfi coast and that's like the southest the most southern Italy that you you see um so I'm, I'm a bit further south than that and yeah the part I'm in I'm living in a in a village that has maybe a thousand uh people who live here um um and it's not really a, I mean, there's like, I'm not living on a farm here. We're, we're kind of on the coast and the village is, is pretty concentrated, like on a hill. Right. Um, so not really on a farm, although my in-laws have a really big garden and a lot of fruit trees and stuff. Um, but my husband's grandma and um, uncle and his family live further inland and they have a farm. They have a family farm there um so we do kind of go see grandma and go see like extended family and that there's a farm there so yeah I think there's a lot of like I I don't know what's it called is it like sustenance farming when you're just farming enough for the family yeah yeah it's not like it's not really a commercial farming area really but like you know, you're, you're farming enough that you are covering like a good amount of your own food uh, based on what you're growing. So I guess one of the things I had forgotten about living in Italy, I, I lived here previously. Um, one of the things I had forgotten is how seasonal the, the produce is. Mm. It's definitely not a place where, I mean, I guess you could go to the grocery store and there is, you know, there's a wider selection there, but it's not... Um, I don't know. It's it's nothing like America. Like I feel like you you really eat seasonally here. So we're eating a lot of broccoli, broccoli that's grown on the farm. Wow. We're eating a lot of mushrooms that my father-in-law goes in the morning and walks through the forest and picks mushrooms. Very good vitamin D, both broccoli yeah. and mushrooms. I mean, it's just nature's way of like giving you what you need in the winter. I mean, I wish we could, I could grow broccoli and mushrooms in my backyard, but um, come, as soon as you can come to Italy, I will give you plenty of broccoli and mushrooms. That sounds delightful. So it's a true, <laughs> it's true, like farm to table experience. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, like if you want, if you need eggs, it's like go to the next door neighbors where they have chickens and like get eggs. Wow. Um, because I guess yeah. if you get a veg box, I've not done it personally, but I've heard good things about people getting veg box in the UK. And like around this time, you just get a lot of root veg and like cabbage. Yeah. 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 Whereas and it I mean, sounds like there's a little bit more diversity where you are. Probably because it's warmer yeah. here. 
although like potatoes very much like a big thing mm. um and then it's also um so there's a lot of canning still and like canning is something you know maybe you grew up hearing your your parents talk about how their parents used to can things or maybe like i know that my mom and i made jam a few times like you kind of learn some principles of it yeah but here um at least in this part of italy there's like there's still a lot of canning that happens um so every summer you make uh, a lot of tomato sauce Mm. Um, and, and you put that away in storage and then you've got tomato sauce for the year. Sorry, you can away summer produce and, and set that aside. So you've got like in my mother-in-law's basement, there's like cabinets full of, of jarred and canned things. Cool. Yeah. And the other thing that you do in Italy is, um, make sausage. So you make and cure sausage, different kinds of sausage, salami, whatever, um, and then, so yeah, so in terms of meat, we're eating a lot of sausage at the moment because that's kind of like the cured meat that Ooh. is available. I mean, I've tried Katie's family, I mean, yeah, Katie's family's Italian sausage before and it is so good. Yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> to be honest, I for the longest time after, you know, school lunches made of bologna mystery meat, I was really like, oh, like, put off by anything cured hammy type thing and then I had your Italian sausage and now I'm like back into charcuterie land <laughs> yeah honestly it was a gateway for me yeah it's good stuff so last weekend I don't know how much detail I should go into probably but um last weekend was the annual day where kind of the extended family gets together and makes the salami and sausage for the year yeah and i think maybe we caveat this for our vegan and vegetarian listeners um, yeah that we're gonna briefly talk about sausage making um and it's not vegetarian sausages yeah yeah so we're literally gonna talk about how the sausage gets made yeah but I think there's something about, it sounds, I don't know for a fact, but <clears throat> it sounds very like organic and sustainable and like full use of everything, you know, like yeah. going to the forest and getting mushrooms and like using whatever produce is, you know, locally seasonal at the time and obviously supplementing as you need from the grocery store, but then also like eating whatever you prepared from the summer, like that's kind of the dream life. Like, I feel like modern day envisioning of what kind of living off the land would feel like is that, surely. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think the eternal caveat of all of these things that like sound idyllic is like, it's a lot of work. Yeah. My husband's family that lives, you know, they're inland on the farm, when we do go to help out, like, I mean, they just work so hard. Yeah. Like, they just work so hard. And it's a different, a very different kind of work than what we're used to. Yeah. Um, and it just really never ends because, you know, we complain about not having a work-life balance, especially working from home. But, like, if you live on a farm, that is, that is your reality all the time. Yeah. There's no, there's no differentiating between work and life. It is your life. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you're not maybe doing the farming yourself but instead you want to make sure you're like not wasting anything yeah. um canning things jarring potatoes taking care of excess produce 
turning you know your onion skins into broth and all that stuff like that that requires a lot a lot of work and planning yeah Um, yeah so I think it, it sounds good but like in practice it takes a lot more work than you might expect yeah true so when yeah. are the sausages ready um so i think it's just a couple weeks so yeah um our families they raise pigs i mean it's very like southern italian tradition i think to to raise and, and slaughter the pig um as a family and then um like you said polly like make use of every single part of the pig um so we made like multiple different kinds of sausage we uh, made different cuts of the pig uh, to use to freeze and cook at, at later dates, so like pork chops and the ribs and stuff. Mm. We didn't turn those into sausage. We just um, set them aside to like freeze and eat later. And then there's really like, there's no waste. So like they made use of, of literally every part of the pig. I won't, I won't go into detail. I guess you can message me if you have questions about like certain parts or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you maybe you make use of every part of the pig, and like the the most work intensive part is the making of sausage, mm. um, which is actually I mean, I just feel kind of lucky to have been part of it. I guess you could think of it as something gross, um, processing meat and like and working with raw meat and turning it into sausage. I mean, there's the whole phrase that people think that is gross, but. I think it's like it's a real privilege to have married into a family that still takes that tradition seriously and to be able to um, participate and like learn from people who have done it every year their entire lives yeah and do it really well as you've attested to Polly yeah I Um, mean do they have a family sausage recipe yeah I mean I guess there's like there's a ratio yeah there's the ratio like meat to fat ratio yeah then there's like the spices there's really an art to like what you put in like nice sausages. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we like, we think our family does a good job. So yeah, there's a ratio of like meat to fat, to salt, to pepper, to fennel. Yeah. And then my husband and I brought some Sichuan pepper from London. Um, And so we made a special batch of salami sausage with Sichuan pepper in it cool fusion yeah, yeah. extra <laughs> so we'll spicy sausages out. those will yeah. be <laughs> <laughs> and then you hang them up in like a, a cool but like well ventilated place right and you let them cure uh for a couple weeks and i think in like within three weeks they should be ready so they won't they won't be super hard yeah in three weeks but um you can eat them cool i mean yeah. i was saying to you it's a bit like I'd imagine how like Korean people make kimchi every year. Well, not every year, but in certain parts of Korea where they make a big, like have a kimchi day and they do all the kind of kimchi processes or like in Chinese families where they make like certain days where they make dumplings and they just make loads and loads of it. Or I don't know. It's, it's, I feel like it's bringing back, I don't know, maybe as I'm getting older and we talk about being in our thirties or whatever, I feel like I'm, more nostalgic and appreciative of like traditions and family time and creating things like and I don't know maybe I yeah I didn't feel like I was kind of as into that kind of stuff when I was younger 
No, I, I, I agree. And I think when you're actually doing it, you realize, like I was telling my mother-in-law afterwards, like I could see while we were doing it, I could see how much faster it would have been if there were four more people in the room. Yeah. So she was saying like when she was a girl, there would be so many people helping out and it would be like, you know, all the families from the road would come together and, and do it at everyone's house. Like yeah. you would just kind of whenever so-and-so was making their salami or their sausage for the year, yeah. like everyone would just go help out. You would get it done really quickly yeah. and then you would go to the next house and, and do it again. Yeah. Um, whereas now when it wasn't that many of us helping out, it took three days. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Is it tiring? Like physically tiring? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. Is it quite rewarding because you like, you produce something? Because my husband and yeah. I talk about like, for example, if you do like DIY around the house, like in a way, it can be a really frustrating project or whatever. But once it's done, you have like something to show for it. And then in that sense, it was kind of all worth it. Yeah. Is it a bit like that? Yeah, and the first time I did it, like a few years ago, the yeah. first time um, they showed me how to make sausage, at the end of the day, I was so tired. I had just given up, and I was sitting on the couch. And someone came in to find me, and I was like, guys, like I, I don't think I can promise you that I will keep this tradition up, but I just want to say thank you for every sausage you've ever given me. <laughs> like, a new appreciation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess, so is it... How does the tradition carry on then? Is that a select people of a select family get to do it? Or you all do it together and you just keep doing it together and someone just needs to continue it? Like, how does yeah, that work? That's that's the one. Like, oh. you just, it's just like, if the kids of the family don't learn yeah. how to do it, then it dies. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. I love the idea of like, well... But yeah, the concept of like handing down family things from generations and yeah. Because then it's like you're also, I don't know how Mickey feels, but it's like you're in touch with you know, your ancestors that you don't know per se. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, um, for our vegetarian vegan listeners, I think we'll end the sausage talk there. <laughs> We should, like, add a timestamp for them in the description. Yeah, like, you'll know, I think, yeah, like, Katie, neither Katie and I are vegetarian or vegan. Because <laughs> we have no qualms. All right, on that note, we'll see you on Thursday. Yeah, see you next time. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prime of Our Lives. We'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. To keep the conversation going, follow us on Twitter at Prime Lives Pod.